as an example, we started out bringing gig service to, to customers. By the end of this year, we're going to be able to do 10 gig to residents. By the end of next year, we'll be able to do 25 gig to residents. Uh, and that's residential service, not commercial. Commercial, we can do up to 100 gigs. Um, I mean, this job really just lets me play with all the toys I like to play with <laughs> and, uh, you know, and make a better experience for the customers. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to the team at Moby. I've got Boaz, I've got Nick, and I've got Stuart. So before I go in and let each of you guys introduce yourselves and talk to us a little bit about what you do and who you are in the organization, what's a Moby? Because when you Google it, I get American um, musician, and I don't think that's what we're after here. So I dug a little bit deeper, and all jokes aside, I, I got to know you guys a few years back. You guys are doing some cool things in our city and disrupting a space that I would say a lot of people don't know is being disrupted in maybe the way that you are. So with that said, let's jump in the old uh, pitch elevator and uh, maybe Boaz, I'll give it to you. What's what's a Moby? So um, Moby, you know, we're defined as a uh, independent triple play telecommunications company. Uh, so fundamentally, you know, we provide internet, TV, and phone services. And what really makes us unique is that uh, we're categorized as, as an indie ISP. And most indie ISPs are really resellers of the incumbent services. So you think of the Shaws, the Telluses, the Rogers and the Bells of the world. So fundamentally what they do is that they go out and they get their CRTC licensing to uh, go to the incumbents and basically uh, set up a business arrangement to resell their services and what's called white label it. So ultimately put their own brand on it. So these NDISPs are doing anything from uh, leasing their cable lines, uh, two buildings, two homes, and in many cases, even utilizing their own TV platforms uh, to resell that service. So fundamentally, you know, we like to think of it as almost like a protest vote, where if you're going with an indie ISP, uh, you're fundamentally uh, really just getting Shaw services. Uh, so if there's any challenges, it is related to the Shaw network. So you're contacting that indie ISP to resolve those problems for you, almost like a customer service and tech uh, department. What really makes Moby unique uh, in this industry is that we truly are independent in the sense that we've gone the hard route and ran fiber underground from building to building, starting in the downtown core of Calgary. So we have fiber running from our data center in downtown, underground uh, at the street level, and running into buildings, both multifamily apartments, condos, and commercial uh, buildings that are mid-rise and high-rise buildings in the downtown core. And further to that, it's our own bandwidth that we've gone and acquired at the wholesale market that we feed to our customers. And uh, we've taken a one step further on the TV platform where we've gone out and, and actually secured content rights with the content owners. So we're referring to the HBOs of the world, the Paramounts of the world, Comcast, NBC, um, obviously the CTVs uh, such as Space, which is really actually owned by Bell. So fundamentally, when you get the TV platform from us, uh, you know, you hit the guide button and in the top right hand corner it says Moby. Behind the scenes, that's not Shaw, that's not uh, Rogers, it's not Bell. That's a Moby TV platform. So with us, you get a true independent uh, telecommunication services that is not reliant on the incumbents, both from a operations perspective and a cost perspective, where a majority of other NDISPs, uh, imagine your supplier is also your competitor. Uh, so it puts you in a very precarious situation. So we've we've really gone in and disrupt start to disrupt the market in Alberta by launching in the downtown core of Calgary. Have expanded outside of the core of Calgary, and have actually recently launched in Edmonton as well. 
uh, to provide a true independent choice. So we're finally that third choice uh, for a telecommunication service provider, whether you're a business or a resident uh, as we expand our network. Uh, that doesn't feel like the first time you've broken that down. So thank you for how clearly and crisply you articulated that. So I got I get a million questions here, but how long have you guys been in business? What's the time frame? What are we looking at here? So uh, Nick started the company back in 2014. Okay. Uh, and, you know, just a, a little bit of background on that. You know, he spent the first um, three years really going down the rabbit hole of how do I build an independent telecommunications company? Uh, he's an ex-Shaw uh, employee. Um, and, you know, when he was looking at it, it goes back to that description of an Indy ISP. He didn't want to just be a reseller. So, you know, how did he become a reseller? He, he quote unquote, could have opened the business overnight. And, you know, I say overnight, generally speaking, uh, but he really wanted his own independent play. So he had to go down the rabbit hole with the CRTC to get the proper licensing. How does he build his backend uh, uh, routers and ISP? How does he get the TV platform off the ground? And actually convincing uh, a building in downtown Calgary, an apartment building, that he's the real deal and he can bring fiber to that building and light him up. And, you know, that's not an overnight thing. Uh, I think when you, you know, when we pulled back the curtain, when uh, um, we started engaging with Nick in 2000, late 2018, early 2019, uh, on what he had built, uh, you know, a lot of people in my mind would have quit 150 times uh, with all the roadblocks you come in, because it's, it's, it's a industry with incredible barriers to entry and uh, incredible amount of capital requirements. Um, and so, from that point, that that's how that business started. But you know, Nick, why don't you give a little bit more about your your yeah, like let, let, yeah, I, you touched on something, uh, Boaz, like the capital intense intensiveness of what you're describing to me. I'm feeling the weight kind of piling up on my shoulder just on that kind of pillar alone. So, Nick, talk to us, and hey, let's let's we jumped right into it. But Boaz, you're the CEO. Nick, you're the CTO and one of the, and founder. And Stuart, who's also on the line, is business development. So we're going to talk in a minute about how do you, how do you convince a building that you're the real deal? But Nick, let's bring it back. What was the fire and the motivation like going back just the, the pure entrepreneurial roots of like, I don't think what's here is satisfactory. I'm going to do it differently. And then you've done it. So like there's, there's a big separation between the frustration and often the action. So just give us a little bit of the foundation of what drove you to like basically tackle a giant here or a couple giants maybe. Well, if you'd have asked me a year ago, I would have told you, yeah, no, or uh, rather eight years ago, I would have told you, no problem, we can do this in a year. <laughs> uh, I've come to learn not the case. Um, we were a tech company to start doing IT for dental software and uh, high-end security for airports and stuff like that. And um, mm -hmm. I had somebody come back and tell me that, uh, you know, there's some interesting stuff in Ontario happening uh, in the ISP space. There was lots of indie ISPs opening and, um, and said, you know, do you think you could do this here? And so then I started digging into it and uh, dug into it for about two weeks, maybe three weeks, and uh, came out at the end of it and said, you know what, let's do it. <laughs> and we shifted focus there. Uh, just to touch on the indie ISP market a little bit, just to understand that is, am I literally just trying to rebrand? I'm obviously rebranding and retooling an existing platform just to try to make it look shinier and then make a little bit of a margin on my prices. I'm just trying to understand, like, I, I get it. And it happens in all kinds of industries where it's like, oh, I only like this brand, but you realize it's just been rebranded and you're actually using the other company. Just curious, what's that model look like even financially? Is that a pretty thin margin model of trying to just resell your competitor's product and make a few pennies along the board. Like it's, I don't want to oversimplify it, but that's what it feels like from the outside. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's a volume game, um, and so ultimately, you know, you're trying to 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 uh, spread your reach across multiple regions. So you'll set up agreements with these incumbents in various regions that you want to play in, and the margins are incredibly thin. Um, and it's it's it was actually you know when when I did uh, look at this with Nick when I first got involved with him in 2019, we looked at that model, wondering if it's something we should integrate into what we do. Um, and really had a hard time wrapping our head around it. Uh, it. It's, and if you think about what has happened recently, and it happened in, I believe it was June of 2021, um, the CRTC had grandfathered in wholesale rates. So the rates that the incumbents would sell to resellers and that ensured a particular margin for them. The incumbents had lobbied against this uh, and uh, unfortunately, to the uh, NDISP industry's dismay, uh, the CRTC sided with the incumbents. And basically, on that Wednesday night at midnight or Thursday, 12.01 a.m., uh, prices across the board shot up by 40%. So every NDISP's cost of doing business went up by 40% per customer base, and the incumbents raised their prices by 40%. You can actually see it on uh, their websites that, ne that next morning. So it's 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 a razor thin, high volume market uh, or industry that is predicated on a marketing machine. Uh, and again, we sort of um, compare it to a protest vote. And you know, Nick was looking at this. Well, how can we do it differently? And different is build fiber, which is kind of the opposite play of what I'm hearing of being picking a region, targeting it because of the amount of infrastructure you need to put in, you can't go a million miles wide and, and quarter inch deep. You've got a really penetrating community. Nick, why Calgary? Uh, you know, this is just where I, I grew up, uh, made the most amount of sense. <laughs> it, yeah. uh, uh, when it came to density for the MDUs, everything nice and tight together. Uh, we could start in the downtown core. Um, and, you know, honest, we actually had the building, one building here finally said yes to us. So that's probably what settled on it out of the gate was okay, this no, one, I, this I, one I, building I appreciate the yes. startup journey. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you do this? Because that person said yes. <laughs> Let's pivot into that for a second. Stuart, were you, were, you, were you part of selling that building? What's like, just curious how long you've been on board? And okay, just understanding kind of what those barriers would be when people look at you and go, you're who and you're what? No, I don't believe you. Get out. <laughs> well, I actually think, I think Nick had the toughest building to sell in the company you know here's a guy that shows up with some cable on his shoulder and a dream a sparkle in his eye and he's like hey i'm a telecom and uh you know somehow he hit the right day and that person said yeah come on in we want you and i think that you know that started the the whole process but you know number one patient zero <laughs> it's always the first, you know, the first, the, the of trials course. and tribulations of that one building uh, was, uh, you know, it was incredible that Nick did that. And, um, you know, my job is to convince more and more people that Moby's real. We are, um, we are the competition. We are up against Goliath. And, um, you know, I think people are starting to now come around to the idea that, hey, this is possible. Like other cities have choices why can't Alberta? Why can't Edmonton? Why can't Calgary? Um, so, so that's that's been the biggest challenge: is just convincing people we are real. We, we can, we're doing this. And just understand, you've got to convince the building first, and then you've got to convince the tenants of the building. Then, like, because there's the 
is there, there's multiple people in this buyer's group, right? If there's 200 units, yeah. I've got to sell each one of those 200, but I can only do that if the building, is it the building manager, the owner, the operator, like who, so who lets you guys in the members, door? It's, yeah, it's board uh, members. Yeah. It's building managers who, you know, really building managers and you know, they've got a tough job they don't, they want to just fix the flood that's happening. They want to, they want to kick out the tenant that's, you know, got raising chickens on their, on their porch. They don't want to deal with, uh, you know, bringing in basically a telecom. It's just, that's not real. Come on. I don't want to, it's, you know, Boaz has always got this one saying, you know, nobody ever got fired for hiring Microsoft. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it's, everybody knows Microsoft, just get Microsoft. And, um, so, you know, people, the first few buildings were like, yeah, well, you know, I'm so tired of the other guys. Let's just do it. Let's just try it. And, and you know, that through just word of mouth, people have been talking and saying, you know what, this is, this is a great service. This is, this is affordable. This is fantastic speeds. I'm a gamer. I'm into technology. Uh, this is amazing. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of what makes your system actually true differentiation and truly, truly quote unquote better, is it often just we're not those other two people you're sick of doing business with? Is that sometimes the biggest value proposition? You're all kind of smirking a little bit as I ask that question. <laughs> just like, for God's sakes, do I have to call that other company? Because it just, you know, often becomes this seesaw of like who gives you the rates and who tries to retain you and you just flip back and forth to end up usually in the similar place or just my own personal experience. So for you guys, is that like once they get past believing you, does that quickly become, thank goodness, I can at least try somebody else? I don't feel, ha I don't feel handcuffed. You know, I, I always think, you know, Alberta is a, it's a, it's a population full of ping pong balls. We're going back and forth from one carrier to the other. Mm. Um, you know, we get treated back poorly on this side of the, the others, you know, the grass is always greener. Well, it's just, it's a shit storm on both sides. <laughs> I think, you know, <laughs> we just yeah, kind of want to. How many? I'll, yep. let, I'll let Nick and Boaz answer. <laughs> yeah. and, and then I ping think... pong ball toss. And also, how many buildings are you guys in right now in Calgary? Just to give some context for people listening, like you know, this is more. This isn't just one building on the corner of such and such, right? Yeah. Um. I. You know. We. We are actually quite um, secretive about that, mainly because you know we're up yeah. against two incredibly dangerous companies. Yeah. Uh, with a war chest. Uh, I will say that you know if you walk the streets of downtown Calgary. Uh, and you point out a building, there's a high probability that we service that building. Exactly. And if we don't service that building, we will be servicing that building within the next 24 months. We have a very aggressive uh, capital deployment plan. Um, you know, so it's, uh, uh, th that's where we're at at that point. And there's a few quadrants in the city that we've actually started to expand to as well uh, that we're starting to go into. We'd rather the incumbents know that we're in a building after we've come in and taken, you know, uh, a 15 to 20 percent uh, share in that in that uh, space. Yeah, yeah. May, may your may your enemy know you landed uh, two days after you landed, right, or whatever. <laughs> I don't think That's that right. is a saying, That's but right. I think we all know we get the idea. We we want that to be an element of surprise. Uh, pivoting back into just the capital intensive nature of a business like this, and putting in cable and running fiber into a building. How's what's the funding journey been like for you guys? Have you been able to like? Because you know the other the other market that asks if you're crazy is is that group. You're going to do what? And you're going to compete against who? Yeah, yeah. Call me once you're already successful, and then I might invest. What's that early stage investment rounds? How's that looked for you guys? And has that been local? Has that been grassroots from an Alberta? Have Albertans investors bought into what your story? Uh, partially, yes. Uh, so, I mean, a, a bit of a, a background on this is, you know, the way uh, we got brought into this 
uh, is uh, through a friend of mine, Carl, uh, who introduced me to Nick actually back in 2016. So I had known Nick, sorry, known, I had met Nick uh, two years prior to we started uh, uh, looking at whether or not there was going to be a business relationship here. Uh, and Nick had been starting to look for funding, um, you know, I would say casually around 2016 through 2018. As a, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, as closer we got to the end of 2018, you started to really kind of, you know, diverge, um, um, converge on 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 uh, securing funding. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was my friend Carl that uh, was actually on a ski hill on a Tuesday that had asked me if uh, I, I remembered Nick Brewer and I didn't and if I wanted to take a look at him. Uh, and, you know, long story short, Carl was interested in investing in this. And so uh, Carl was the original, what I would call the angel investor in this iteration of Moby. Uh, and when I say angel investor, picture getting a telecommunications company off the ground requires more than their usual angel check. Uh, it's, not, it's not a six-figure check. Uh, it's much larger. And from that stage, uh, we took that money um, uh, proved the model uh, a little bit further, buttoned up the um, the 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 strategy uh, uh, of the deployment strategy. What we we're going to do uh, had had brought Stuart into the fold. I'd, I've known Stuart actually since I think we were ten. I think we played on the soccer pitch together. Um, and ultimately, from that point, after we proved the model, we went out to a group of uh, high net worth individuals that 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 could write multiple uh, large checks as well. And so these, and they are uh, Calgary, Edmonton uh, based individuals uh, that, that support us. And then from that standpoint, a professional group also came in uh, at what you would define, I guess, the seed round. Uh, you know, and our seed round was, um, you know, we're not very public about it, but it was, it's substantially larger than your, your average seed round. Okay. And the reason for just staying under the radar, mainly because of these two larger competitors and keeping things a little bit more quiet, because again, we've got a lot of activity in Calgary in the startup community, and everybody likes to be really loud about it. <clears throat> get that out there, get the headlines, and you know, part of why I want to chat with you guys, because I knew your story, but I also appreciate that you've kept it a little bit under the, under, under the radar. Yeah, again, we're, we're up against uh, two very dangerous companies. Uh, and when I say dangerous, I don't mean that in a negative sense. I would say even powerful, right? And so it, it's really a function of we prefer that they find out what we're doing after we've done it. And if we are, you know, too public, we're public about the buildings we go to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, once once we're there. Uh, but uh, we're in terms of being public about our financing and whatnot, uh, we've made a choice uh, both at the operational level and at the board level, because uh, we do operate as a publicly traded company, even though we're private, okay. uh, that, you know, this it's, it's in our interest right now uh, to keep our funding model under the radar. I appreciate that as a, as a strategy. It's just, it's so, so often differs from, you know, the amount of publicity and PR that companies are trying to get based so much on, well, hey, we landed this funding around, look what we're going to do now kind of mindset. But I also see directly where that could put you under scrutiny maybe sooner than you would, you would want to be. And now a message from one of our valued partners. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calbert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? 
Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that, where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in any slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Nick, pivoting back to you a bit on the technology, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this just the devil's advocate. You know what? All those other providers also say that I'm going to have X level of service and uptime and I'm going to have upload and download and everything's going to be amazing. And this sun will always shine on my internet connection, which we all know is not always true. Talk to us a little bit about the deep tech of what it is that actually makes you guys different than those those other two, um, the, the, those, those that will remain unnamed in this podcast. But we all know who we're talking about. What actually makes your guys tech different and quote unquote better? Let's be blunt. Mm. Uh, at the end of the day, it's we don't have... Four million customers. Uh, we can. Um, it's a lot easier to maintain. We have everything centralized here. We run fiber to all the buildings. We don't have uh, nodes in the in the ground like uh, the incumbents do. So we're not having a node feeding 50 buildings, 100 buildings. Uh, everything runs right back here. Uh, we open our pipes up, so we're actually feeding 10 gigs of service to every building, uh, regardless of the size. Um, and when we offer service, when you buy Internet 300, you actually get about 20% more. Uh, so when you do a speed test, you're, you're pushing about 320, 350. Um, Ooh, I say at the end of the day, I, like, I, like, I can see that. I'm gonna, I, I can see that gauge going all the way off the end of my screen. I don't think the speed test that I use doesn't even go up that high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. At the end of the day, it's just that simple. We just don't have four million customers. We can build. We're not working with legacy systems from from 100 years ago, 30 years ago, everything's brand yeah, new. Yeah, I was going to go ask how much just the fact that you're putting in new infrastructure, that in itself is an advantage just because like stuff just gets outdated, right? And it's very costly mm -hmm. to replace for these companies that are wanting to get as much value out of that capital uh, injection investment that they that they can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, when you consider, I mean, I'll, I'll name shop because this is a negative at all, but they how they came together was they went around and bought up a whole bunch of ISPs across the province. Uh, and every time they bought an ISP, they had to inherit old legacy network uh, right. and literally 35, 40, 50 year old networks, right? I mean, I, we go into buildings now and see cabling in there that's 40 years old, right? So we don't have those mm -hmm. problems. You mentioned we don't have 4 million customers. Again, we're not going to get into how many customers do you have, but you're on a growth trajectory. I'm also assuming that part of like, as you grow, you're kind of building to fit and it all matches up because one day maybe you will have quote unquote 4 million customers. But what I heard loud and clear, it's going to be on a, on a relatively new, not necessarily band-aid together or patchwork network. And that's not a criticism. That's just yeah. the reality of they were in the market for as long as they have, like to be clear. Yeah, it's just technology changed a lot. Uh, you know, fiber wasn't what it was 30 years ago. Uh, it was expensive. Mm. wasn't easily readily available. Uh, I mean, you fast forward 30 years from now, fibers, there's not much that's going to be better than fiber, right? So right. 
a hard line through your building is, is there's nothing that's going to beat that. I appreciate that. Until the aliens come. Until the aliens. Well, that's yeah. another discussion. <laughs> well, that's definitely an episode for later. I've been trying to get them on, but they're very cagey. Um, so elusive. They are right? very elusive. Like, they're there, they're gone. Um, I've been hanging out in some trailer parks in the U.S. to see if they would come and grab me. But um, other markets, you mentioned stuff going on in Ontario. You know, I appreciate we live in our market and we see our, you know, oh, this is Calgary and what's happening here. If I look around the world, is this more of a common thing to find in other, in other markets? You mentioned Ontario, but even in the U.S. And I always love to look out and go, who's doing what and where do we kind of sit against mm -hmm. that? Is this more of a common, you know, phenomenon to find in other, in other jurisdictions? And I've always heard, oh my God, Canada, you guys have so few choices. You, you're so, you pay so much because you've only got two options. And I've heard that on many different scales just from my friends overseas and what they pay for their you know, access on their mobile device versus what we have to pay here. Is that a factor for you guys looking at just like where things are headed versus where Canada's kind of been? Absolutely. Um, you know, you look at the U.S. market, we are not, we're rare, but we're not extremely rare. Meaning, okay. you know, their India ISPs that run their own fiber are well known. Uh, I mean, you're, it's, it's, the barriers to entry aren't as difficult from a, you know, their CRTC equivalent. Okay. Um, mm, and right. in terms of looking at those markets, absolutely. When we put together this business plan, we didn't want to be the smartest people in the room. We actually went to other jurisdictions uh, and asked them for their playbook. And they looked at us and said, well, we're never going to be where you guys are going to be. So here you go. Here's how we do things. <laughs> That's, I appreciate that. So, mm -hmm. so you guys looking at like you've made recently expanded into Edmonton. Is it a carbon copy playbook? Is it like, hey, we did it here, we can rinse and repeat, just thinking about scalability back to our, your investors and the longevity? Or is every, you know, if you're in a province, is it going to be a certain way? Like just thinking about Canada, it, what's the main difference going from Calgary to Edmonton? And then what if we went to Vancouver? We'll just play those three for the, for the sake of it. I think, you know, uh, terms of from, a, I'll speak to the capital side. I think Stuart yeah. can speak to the uh, marketing and sales side. From a capital perspective, you know, the rules of putting fiber underground in Calgary is different than it is in Edmonton. It's different okay. than Kelowna. It's different in Vancouver. So, you know, it, it's really about cracking that, that nut and, you know, understanding it. And it, I would say it becomes a rinse and repeat potentially in that jurisdiction that you're in, but not necessarily the jurisdiction that you're in here and uh, bringing it over okay. there. You need to operate very differently from that perspective. Uh, marketing and sales, again, demographics is different. I think that's something Stuart can touch on. Quick uh, question before we, I, I just want to clarify before I pivot into that. You mentioned Kelowna. What's, what's, what market would be too small? Like how, how scalable is this? Could we go to Red Deer? Could we go to, are we going to go to Hinton or are we, are we not? Or Chestermere? So, <laughs> like, so the best way for me to answer that is um, when we started this out, we thought we were just going to be a downtown Calgary play. Okay. And it just seems that, you know, once you start establishing relationships with REITs, uh, apartment REITs and commercial REITs, and, and, you know, you could literally put all the REITs in one room. There's not a lot of them. Uh, those requests start to expand into other jurisdictions, regardless of the jurisdiction size. Hinton, it would be quite small on our radar. I, I would say that's probably unlikely. Okay. Um, but uh, other municipalities, uh, we've definitely, we've been approached by other municipalities and REITs to be in those municipalities. So we, we, we look at things on a, uh, I want to say a big picture perspective as mm -hmm. to, you know, does it make sense? And if it does, when? I love your comment about the REITs because, you know, hey, if you're doing good for me here, why don't I want to use you somewhere else? Because I want to get a consistent partner where I can deliver value and so on. So pivoting that into the marketing and sales bucket, 
Stuart, what are you encountering? Kind of, you know, obviously it sounds like you got your foothold in Calgary. Now, as you guys are looking at other markets, what are you running into and what's the consumer care about or not care about, or how do they respond differently? Uh, you know, I think, you know, uh, just in terms of what we are, we are a utility. There's, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's the four, the four needs in life. We've got food, shelter, clothing, and internet. It's just the reality of how things are. And, and so when you go to another market like Edmonton, and let's just talk about Alberta, there's so little choice. There's just so little choice. I don't know, we're in this, you know, when you talk to people from Toronto, they're just kind of, they don't, like, what do you mean? Like, it's internets, like, I get this choice. I've got, I've got five choices out here. What do you guys have? We, we literally have two. And so, you know, during the, I like to call it the plague, people just, they were stuck in their apartments with their internet and hopefully they had really good internet. And if they didn't, they started to really complain and suffer, really. Um, so when I was out there knocking on doors, people started to listen because they're like, you know, I've actually, building managers would say, yeah, our internet is awful. And people are complaining to me because they're stuck in their apartments having to do their meetings, having to do their podcasts, having to do, um, you know, having their kids watch Netflix while they're in, locked in the bathroom with their laptop trying to do a, a little meeting. So it really kind of boils down to the bigger picture of, hey, we need choice in this province. We need some other alternative because choice is good. You know, we're not always the best solution for everybody, but, um, but to have a choice is a fantastic thing. And so Edmontonians, just like Calgarians, are saying the same thing. Um, so the marketing message, whether it be a, an 80-year-old who loves watching, a, you know, a Murder, She Wrote reruns, uh, or, uh, or a young guy who's just happened to be getting into, uh, you know, Little House on the Prairie, you know, they all need to have a streaming, uh, streaming, streaming service and a decent connection, and then maybe there's, maybe there's the, uh, the grandfather who wants to play uh, games with his son, who's in Australia. So like there's, it's a crazy thing, but we all kind of just need it to the same level as everyone else. Weekend, weekend TV at Stewart's is, is just chocked full of classics. You got Michael Landon and Angela Lansbury, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. A lot of both. telling the truth in my house. Yeah, no, okay? this is, yeah, with the, yeah. Wholesome fun. <laughs> um, I do appreciate your comments. Did, and I'm, I'm just saying this loosely, but was the was the plague, was the pandemic one of the best things that ever happened to you guys? Because it really brought attention to, I love what you said about we're a utility. There's the other argument that it, I think the internet is an essential service because without connectivity, you're not able to participate in society in any way. So was 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 that period of time? Because you're right, everyone at one point talked about their internet connection, good or bad, during the pandemic, for sure, 100%. So was that a positive for you guys in terms of just bringing even more focus to what was, from your perspective, something that needed to be fixed anyways? Anybody? Well, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing. We didn't miss out on any trips to Mexico in the middle of it. You know, it's like, what, what should we do? How about work? You know, my kid's screaming. I think I'm going to head to work now. <laughs> you know, it's, it focused us definitely yeah. as a business. 100%. I think so, it's, uh, I mean, yeah. it, it definitely, um, I, I don't know if it made it easier, but allows to, to, to Stuart's uh, point, let us focus on bringing buildings, uh, what's called on net, so online, and deploying our fiber. Uh, did it make it easier for us from a marketing sales perspective? I, I'm going to say no in the sense that, you know, we were still in growth mode. We are in growth mode now, but we were still in growth mode, building out our network, uh, building out our capabilities and, and our legitimacy. 
Um, but what it, what it did do, you know, we like to joke that, you know, without the Mobies of the world or the incumbents of the world, you couldn't get Justin Trudeau's or Jason Kenney's daily updates. Right. So, uh, we, we were, we were, we're necessary from that perspective. So it did bring it to the forefront and I'd say it's probably made our marketing and sales game easier today, as opposed to two years ago during the pandemic. Trying to convince somebody with a mask on, trying to make a connection with somebody, the, the person at the front door in a building to let me in, you know, I've got a mask on, let me in your building. I want to talk to you for a second. You know, it was tough. You know, standing outside with one of those masks on, and I don't know if you remember all the pain behind your ears after wearing the thing for four hours, and I'm wearing it outside because, you know, we don't want to be the person that kills everybody in the neighborhood because we're trying to sell our product literally outside at a table in a wind tunnel. And um, that, that wasn't easy. That was just depressing. <laughs> but we did it. We started making connections with people. And that was the cool part, like, Sometimes it was just nice to talk to people outside and make a connection Such with somebody on the street. Time. You're you're maybe answering my next question a little bit, but like pure marketing dollars, like you you said before, Boaz, about you know some of the NDISPs really just being a marketing kind of sales play. You're competing against two very well entrenched. You mentioned the word uh, war chest. These uh, two two organizations specifically have a significant budget that they deploy actively from a marketing and not just marketing but an advertising dollars perspective which oftentimes I don't care what startup I deal with or anybody who's on a growth journey, those budgets are never the same and they're a little bit harder to come by. How have you guys balanced that off? Has it been with just grassroots and being out there and, you know, press the flesh, which is a weird thing to say specifically as we're referring to the pandemic, but being the guy in the wind tunnel beside the building, we're just willing to talk to people. Like how have you offset that your two competitors have massive advertising budgets? Mm -hmm. I guess is a pointed way to ask. So initially it was grassroots uh, because we just didn't have a, large enough footprint to justify social media spends, right? Where, you know, we could go on Facebook, we can go on Instagram. And even though we would put it down to a two kilometer, three kilometer radius, we get so many people trying to sign up and ultimately we don't even service the building. So initially it was that grassroots side. And I think we very quickly realized that, um, you know, as good as Stuart is, he's not very, 44 year old guys aren't as cool as people in their 20s. So, whoa, uh, whoa, trying whoa. to sell anyway. Uh, that's whoa. a whole, <laughs> hey, like, this is not that. The different podcasts, different yeah, podcasts. Like, wrong audience, wrong audience. <laughs> I actually remember, you know, Stuart, I, I came up and saw you outside of, and, you know, I'll name one of the buildings, you know, Mark on 10th, and there he is selling and, and he's trying to promote the product. And we're just looking at each other. And, and I don't know which one of us brought it up, but it's just like, this is not a game for, for guys in their forties, right? We, <laughs> we've got to, we got to take a different approach here. And, and, and it, it's potentially, you know, when you look at the, the biz B2B side, it's a different animal, right? You're looking okay, at yeah, we'll, we'll more, more that, senior yeah. account executives, yeah. but then that's when we realized that we, you know, in terms of that grassroots side, it started to build up where we started hiring university students. I would, I would compare them to, uh, brand ambassadors, like for, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, energy drinks. Yeah, a more traditional were active, an activation approach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It was guerrilla marketing. And then as our uh, footprint built up, we started to build an actual, uh, you know, online digital marketing campaign. Uh, so although we're up against this war chest, you got to remember, we are relative to them. You know, to, to Nick's comment, we don't have 4 million, 8 million customers. We're hyper-focused. So we can hyper-focus those advertising and marketing dollars to specific buildings and specific demographics. And I would go as far as to say that 
small is beautiful from a marketing perspective because we can have a different message for East Village versus West Village versus the Beltline versus a seniors facility versus a lower income housing uh, project. So uh, where the uh, the brand of I'm going to say one of the incumbents has an amazing brand. Uh, I think we know who that is, uh, you know, and but it's it's a broad message, generally speaking. Uh, and it works. Uh, we look at it and say, well, let's get hyper focused on uh, the message for this demographics, for that demographics. So that's where that small is beautiful, allows you to take a smaller uh, dollar amount and uh, uh, narrow it to your uh, target market. I love what you said about that because it's so easy to go, oh, well, we're small, so therefore these are our disadvantages. But to your point, try to go, well, we're small, so therefore we can pivot like a speedboat, not a big ship. And I really, like you said, we live in a world where we all want customized and personalized messaging. So you guys doing that even by parts of the city? Because right, Beltline versus East Village, those are two different, it's just different vibes. It's a whole different scene. I love the, I love taking the time and the energy of going, this is, our, this is one of our superpowers while we're small, so let's use it to really target and speak to the customer. You, sk you skipped over something, which I do want to pick Pivot. This isn't just to direct to the consumer. There is a B2B market for this as well. What's how's that shifted? And like, is it the same? Hey, we're frustrated. We're looking for more options. What does the B2B sales process look like or steward or whoever wants to grab this one? What's that sales process look like compared to uh, I'm living in my, you know, 800 square foot apartment and, you know, I can't game with my buddies because my internet's terrible. I'm in a business of 50 people and internet is a make or break for I don't care what business you are. What's that look like? Stuart, what's I'm the I'm gonna let Boaz answer that one. Okay. But just as this quick side note, I would love to go to the incumbents petting zoo. I think it would be one of the most magical things to have baby <laughs> leopards and little <laughs> elephants coming up to me and chickens. And I'm like, why is everybody not eating each other? Right. But it's just like this amazing magic. We all thing. get along. And we, all, we all get along. And then I'd go to the other side and I'd, and I'd play with robots, you know? <laughs> it would just be incredible. No, they definitely have done a good job of putting it on top of mind because, yeah, I think everybody already had done that in their head, <laughs> the betting zoo. So let's get back to business here, Boaz. Talk, 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 to, me, talk to me about the B2B audience or the, the commercial audience. Uh, fundamentally, it comes down to um, an intimate relationship, right, mm -hmm. that uh, we, we have not just with our residential customers but with our B2B customers. And so ultimately... Um, you know, the enterprise level customers, and I'm going to talk about the blue chip oil and gas companies, uh, they fundamentally get all the love from the incumbents because these are massive contracts that they have. Are we going into these blue chip companies and saying, hey, why don't you get us, uh, you know, instead of the hippo? Uh, no, we're not. We're not. We're not walking in on that perspective. Right. Because there's a level that they're looking from from them. We are, however, looking at this insane. And if you think back to uh, another incumbent uh, whose color is red and is coming to Alberta and whose uh, network was out a while back, which is, by the way, uh, every ISP's worst nightmare. Uh, you know, yeah, so a, we, a we weren't looking utter at fail. that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah we, we actually didn't look at that and say, great, this is an advantage. We looked at it and said, oh, God, this is awful, right? You know, uh, we wouldn't want to be through that either. So, but fundamentally, you know, we see that from the perspective of these big, large blue chip companies saying, you're going to need redundant connections. You need a solid redundant connection that has a dedicated network operations center that's 24-7, which we have, that is monitoring your internet connection. And it's a dedicated fiber that's home run from your building over to our data center that is uh, completely independent from the incumbent's 
uh, bandwidth feed. So we're really going to say, you know what, we're actually good with being your number two. And on top of that, uh, your fiber connection, or in many cases, your coax connection from that incumbent is coming from the north side of the building. How about we bring that fiber to you guys? That's a redundant connection from the south side of the building. Where ultimately, uh, from that perspective, if something happens, road closures, construction, you still have that backup. And a lot of these large companies, even law firms, engineering firms, even their insurance policies require that they have some level of redundancy that guarantees that they be up. So we look at it from that place on the enterprise side. On what we like to define as the uh, medium-sized businesses, uh, you know, and medium sizes could be is not necessarily the, the the number of people, it's the usage. So you could be a 12-person engineering firm, but your bandwidth usage is significant, uh, you know, or you could be a a 250-person uh, oil and gas firm, which is really just considered a junior or a mid-level oil and gas company. So we go into those companies as well, and our belief is. You know, for the incumbents, those customers are important, but from a dollar figure, it doesn't move the needle for them. It's the equivalent of basically me finding a $20 bill in my pot, jean pocket in the morning, puts a smile on my face, but it doesn't change my life. Where we look at these, these uh, companies and we say to them, what if we could give you guys enterprise level services that the blue chip companies are getting at your level at a pricing that's competitive? So you're getting all that love and that intimate relationship from us. So they don't feel like they've been, you know, um, overlooked because simply put blue chip oil and gas or blue chip, uh, um, bank, you know, is paying a massive bill, uh, uh, to us or to the incumbents for that matter. So we're really filling that same void. Uh, and even, sorry, go ahead. Nick. Sorry. Just on that. We've kind of changed the conversation a little bit. When, when the big guys come into you, it's here's what we can do for you. We're coming in and saying, what can we do for you? How can we make your, your life easier? You know, uh, we can tailor things, customize it to the individual customer. We have all kinds of options. Uh, and I think that's really one of the things they love about us is that, you know, we're working for them. You know, it's not the other way around. I appreciate the personalization. Yeah, it's a function and, of listening as yeah. opposed to telling them, right? And mm-hmm. picking up the phone mm-hmm. and answering it. all all that is old is new again uh in terms of balance and again if if this is one of your kind of top secrets what's the balance between and i'm not even sure how you would do how because number of customers but is your is it 50 50 business to consumer b2b b2c or is it a blended rate or maybe that's something you don't want to share yeah we can't share that yeah i had a feeling i'm I'm getting i'm 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 sensing what territories i'm still going to dip my toe into but i appreciate there might not be an answer uh, Nick, what gets you really, you mentioned the comment about, oh, fiber, you know, like it's, that's going to be like, it's not going to get much better than fiber. But when you look at the tech that's coming down the road and obviously being smaller and agile and thinking about new markets as you grow, what kind of gets you excited about this space when it comes to, you know, TV and everything that you guys do? Is there anything that gets you really excited being the, being the tech guy? What's, what's on your future? Like, Hey, that's going to be the coolest thing ever in, in, in a year or two years. I, I love everything about this industry. I, uh, you know, we have we have I'm changed. <laughs> we have changed our technology uh, a couple of times since the beginning. We're just going through another huge TV platform upgrade. Uh, with first the next year, we're going to go through another huge technology upgrade. Uh, we're bringing at the moment. You know, if, as an example, we started out bringing gig service to to customers. By the end of this year, we're going to be able to do 10 gig to residents. By the end of next year, we'll be able to do 25 gig to residents. 
uh, and that's residential service, not commercial. Commercial, we can do up to 100 gigs. Um, I mean, this job really just lets me play with all the toys I like to play with <laughs> and, uh, you know, and make a better experience for the customers. There's lots of good stuff. And, and are those types of, that's with those types of speeds, are those going to be like, they sound like, oh, wow, like, you know, panacea and euphoria, but also is that going to become necessary as our computing power increases, more access to AI and machine learning and just the sheer amount of data that's moving around <clears throat> those things that sound like novelty items now, are those going to become mandatory as the world evolves and our ability to move data around becomes mission critical? I think eventually you're going to get to a point where it's just an open pipe. Uh, it wasn't that long ago when people were saying 50 megs was a lot. Uh, you get a, an average household of four people and and, a hand, and they're streaming and playing video games and working and, you know, 50 megs is nothing anymore. We're getting to a point where, you know, even 150, 200 megs uh, isn't enough for some households. The other part of this conversation is not even the bandwidth. It's um, latency. There's there's lots of other factors that, that tie into this, you know. So we're working on a, our network as an example next year is going to start focusing on uh, super low latency connections, actually providing uh, connections that uh, tailored to residential customers. If you stream, it'll be a super low latency connection, wide open pipe, just super fast Internet. Uh, if you're using emails, you know, we'll tailor the connection for that as well. If that's all you do all day is just open your emails and that's that's enough for you. If you stream all day. If you're a gamer, there'll be more custom packages. More. That's high. If I've got low latency versus high latency, as a as a user, what are the main like? Again, don't want to make any assumptions. What am I going to experience? Like, what do I what do I go? Oh, this is what high latency feels like. This is what low latency feels like. Well, every every gamer uh, can relate to this. Uh, latency mm -hmm. is the difference. It's the glitching in the game. It's the uh, it's the three seconds behind everybody else. That's what's causing that latency, not your bandwidth. Um, it's just okay. like a speed bump in the road, right? The more speed bumps you hit, the slower your connection is. Well, I circling back to something you mentioned at the beginning. Talk to me about TV. Uh, interesting. I don't want to skip over that. You have direct relationships, Paramount, HBO, like all the all the who's who names. Am I going to get different access to different content when I, if I'm working through you guys, or is it just that you now control those relationships and less vulnerability of being an intermediary going to some of the, those big content creators? Um, you're not going to get the, you're going to get the same content in the same sense that CNN is CNN, whether you're getting that through us or getting it through an incumbent. Uh, but what we've really done is, is, you know, managing TV is in, incredibly taxing from a, a human resources and, and time sensitive perspective. You actually have to report to all of the content owners uh, how many subscribers you have to their specific channels and, and, and so forth. But what you get with us ultimately is that we'll take our TV package and we'll create a lot more freedoms for it. So uh, we'll bundle them in slightly different ways than the incumbents do within reason because people need to understand and uh, I'm going to come to the defense of the incumbents here. Uh, a lot of people get upset about why do I have to bundle this channel with that channel and I can't bundle this channel with this channel. I may have been that's involved in a conversation by like the that. Incumbents. Okay. Yeah, that's that's dictated by the by the uh, content content right owners, not by the uh, telecommunications companies. So there's there's limitations to that flexibility. But what we like to do is that uh, we'll go into uh, particular demographics and we'll see, for example, 
uh, a building. This comes back to that hyper-focused situation where we might have a building that actually has a large uh, population. We actually have one uh, from the Philippines. So we'll actually promote Pinot TV uh, to them. So ultimately we can, we can hyper-focus that marketing and packaging of the TV um, platform. And, and we also give a lot more flexibility uh, than the incumbents on the a la carte choices and, and what we're going to sell uh, with a particular um, uh, level of TV services. I'm really hearing a personalization theme uh, in under, and again, we're smaller, so we care and we can because we're smaller, so we can give you what you want in your specific use case, whether it's a business or hearing that certainly is an underpinning of not the experience I get when I call my current uh, provider. Um, Talent, it's just the brass that tax of every business. I don't talk to anybody these days that there isn't some type of a talent shortage or can't find people and, uh, you know, all that, depending on whether you're at the, at the, at the ground level or, you know, all the way up for skilled labor. How's that been for you guys? Has that been a, a, an obstacle at all with finding the talent to be able to grow the business? Uh, we've been quite lucky and I, you know, I, I know everybody likes to say, you know, uh, you know, we have a players and everybody here is, is number one, but, uh, to build a telecommunications company, you do need A players uh, because uh, you really up are, you know, again, you're up against these these giants. We've been really lucky in the sense of the people that have joined us, everything from the full stack developers to the technical service uh, uh, providers to our field technicians, to our director of operations, who's, you know, uh, got a breadth of uh, telco experience, uh, director of sales and marketing. Uh, we've been able to attract talent, and I think it's a function of the fact that what we're doing is pretty cool. Who doesn't want to build a telecom, right? I mean, it's kind of like this 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 once in a lifetime opportunity. And I think when we go out to market and we are looking to fill position A, you're really going to get um, the following candidates. You're going to get the candidates to look at this and say, these guys are batshit crazy or they're full of shit. There's no way they're building what they're building. And I'm not even going to touch that. I'm going to go where it's safe. Uh, and then you're going to get the other guys are going to say, these guys are batshit crazy. And I actually want to be part of this. Uh, and uh, uh, I want to, I want to join the cause. So the people that work here, you know, they truly feel that they're part of a, um, I don't want to use the word revolution, but you know, it's really something that's disrupting the market. So you're verging on an, an old Apple commercial here pretty quickly. The, uh, the, the yeah, we don't ones. have their yeah. budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I, again, that was a compliment. I'm just, I, I like that. I like These guys are crazy. Where, where do I sign up? That's, that's kind of, I do, I do appreciate a sense of purpose and a sense of being, be, being the, being the underdog has got a lot of appeal for to a lot of people, especially these days more than ever. Gentlemen, I really appreciate you guys coming on and, and kind of sharing and diving into it and, getting on the radar. So I guess a couple of maybe obvious questions. I live in Martaloop, specifically on 29th Ave. When can I expect this service to show up in my neighborhood? Uh, I would actually say not too far off. Okay, cool. Uh, we yeah. have plans actually in that neighborhood. Okay, that's awesome. Because of course, if I'm listening to this and it sounds good and I'm excited, my first question is go to your website and find out. And hey, if, I've got a, if I'm in a building downtown or I'm on the fringe of downtown, can I go to your website and see where you're like, again, I'm on your site now, but I didn't go the deep dive of like, can you service my, my area? How does somebody, how does somebody get in touch with you? Let's just call a spade a spade. How do I, how do I find out when Moby's going to be in my neighborhood? I want you to make a lot of noise. I want, I want people to, to talk to their building managers. I want people to reach out to us. I want people to, you know, get a group of people in their building and, you know, come to us and say, Hey, we want your services because really, 
uh, you know, that's that's how happen that's how it happens on on the consumer side is if they make some noise and they give us a call. Um, you know, we had a building reach out to us recently and said, hey, you know what, we're just tired of this awful service that we're getting. What can you do for us? You know, help us out. And and it was really cool because all of a sudden we're it's it's great when you come in and you're the solution. Yeah. And it's great when you're wanted, um, you know. And so I would just tell people to to, to visit our site, to to sign up, uh, to just you know to put put our, put their name in in the hat, and uh, we'll keep plugging forward and pushing forward and, and and growing. Yeah, to add to that, you know, when you do go to our site and you key in your address, it'll tell you uh, whether or not we service your building. Uh, and if we don't, you get sort of this, oh damn, we're not there, but do you want us there? Uh, and so, you know, and ultimately the real benefit here to, uh, building owners, building managers, condo boards is, you know, we bring all this service and this fiber to your building at no cost to you. So we're, we're kind of like the hardwood flooring company who says you want a new set of hardwood floors and it's going to cost you $0. Why don't we do it? Uh, and so that's the real value. And, you know, to Stuart's point, it gets, it gets contagious, the building next door has spoken to the build the building that has our service and then that how that that leads to a lot of uh um opportunities for us well, and people move and people if i'm used to a certain quality and i move across the street and i don't have it that's going to be a factor and you know marketing is great from a push perspective but it's really nice when it becomes a pull right and the customers start reaching out to you back to Stuart's point make some noise and we'll come we'll come and visit hey last but not least and Cost-wise, are you guys comparative? Are you better priced, more priced? And maybe it's a weird thing to ask right at the end, but I was like, I didn't want to, I have like all of a sudden, we didn't really talk about pricing at all. <laughs> where where would you guys typically sit in the realm of what I'm used to spending versus what I'm used to getting? So we're we're roughly, uh, and again, it depends because uh, the incumbent's pricing is very all over the map. We're roughly on average about 40% less uh, than the incumbents. You know, we're, we're actually, in the beginning of the, the podcast, I mentioned about how wholesale prices went up 40%. Um, Moby's pricing that day stayed flat. Nothing happened because we, we control the lines, right? So bandwidth is actually getting cheaper and cheaper over time. And uh, deployment of infrastructure is getting more efficient over time. So it stands to reason that, that these numbers should be coming down. And so our model is... You know, there's a saying out there that uh, 48% of Albertans or Canadians are uh, $200 away from insolvency. We like to say that they're their telco bill away from insolvency. So we like to look at this and say, if we could drop that down to $100 all in, you know, internet, TV, phone, what, what does that look like, right? That's, that's, that's a big gain at the speed of fiber and at the quality of fiber. Ooh, mic drop moment for Boaz right there. That was fantastic. Gentlemen, thanks for the work you do, and thanks for doing it in our city. This is a very pro-Calgary podcast, so I love sharing stories like this about stuff, the underdog, but not only that, that you guys are actually providing a better service, and you're doing it right here at home. So get Moby.com, check out the website. You guys got a lot of good information on there, and I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you all. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Tom. you. Thank you, everyone.